listening to First Church Charlotte. So uh, I'm going to get right into the scripture tonight. I want to start a Bible study uh, series that I will do probably for the next three or four Wednesday nights. And I am going to try to take a subject which is not overly celebrated, a subject that is one of the least talked about and most spoken about, least talked about in our life and most spoken about in the scripture. I want to try to do it justice here. Uh, I'm going to read at John chapter number eight. If you would like to turn with me very quickly, we're going to read at John chapter number 38, and we will read at verse number 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. Now, I am reading uh, English Standard. Let me switch to New King James so I don't throw our projection team out out of their good mood. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Other translations bring this to even a sharper point. He speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of it. When the devil lies, he's being true to his nature. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. My subject for the next uh, little while tonight and perhaps the next two or three Wednesday nights is this. Ethics and the nature of God. Ethics and the nature of God. Of God. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, He read about the devil, so it's probably for you. <laughs> All right, I confess that ethics is not the subject of much gospel preaching. <laughs> I've been in church my whole life, as have some of you. I've been around church my whole life. I have heard enough preaching to save the devil, if such a thing were possible. I have not heard a lot of preaching about ethics. Uh, even when ethics is mentioned, it is, it is tacked on kind of as an also-ran subject. I don't mean that I'm different and therefore better than other preachers. I mean, even I do not celebrate ethics as a theme. Hear me. Now, you'll find continual references to ethics, doing the right thing, getting yourself sorted out, all that kind of stuff. Living right, as old timers used to say, spitting white. That means you don't have chewing tobacco in your mouth. <laughs> now, that, now that's going back right there. Um, uh, we, we touch ethics, but we do not celebrate ethics as a theme. 
And the reason why most of us do that is because we think of ethics in terms of the right and the wrong way to do things. And we're not wrong when we see it that way. We think of ethics as a type of list where when we do the good of the list, we are righteous. And when we fail to do the good of the list, we have committed a sin of omission for sure, maybe a sin of commission also. But ethics truly at its deepest level is the study of good and evil. It is the systematic, intentional study of good and evil. So let me let me phrase it differently. How many, of you, how many of you want to be of God? That's fair. How many of you want your life to represent the nature and the essence of God? How many of you want to celebrate God's presence in your life? You should be concerned about ethics. Oh, no one said amen on that one. Everyone was like, amen, amen, amen. Uh, oh. Me, <laughs> little old me. Uh, I, you should be concerned about ethics. But to be clear, <clears throat> I want to come at this from, I think, a, f- a, a fundamental level that is of utmost important, importance. Ethics is not about being goody two-shoes. I know most of us fall into shallow thinking, and we think that ethics is about being the teacher's pet. We think ethics is about ensuring that God approves of us. We think that ethics is in some way related to justification. Okay, Let me pause since I just hit you with a theological word and you're like uh, even now wanting to bump your neighbor and say, honestly, I think I'm a little too tired for this tonight. You know who you are. Uh, Justification is the word that directly translates to our salvation. Justification is when justice is satisfied with you. Do you see? Justice has a bone to pick with you. And that is, you have not done all things well. Justice says you're a sinner. Justice says you are of your father, the devil. Justice says the same nature of your father, the devil, which is to take what has not been apportioned to you, then to lie about what you have stolen. That nature is not the nature and character of God. That is the father of the rebellious way. The father of the sinful journey. That is the nature of the original rebel, Lucifer, where we take what has not been given to us and then we lie to justify to ourselves as though we can stand in for justice. Justice has a bone to pick with you. Justice has weighed you and found you wanting, do you see? But when you are given 
grace, when God's mercy covers you, you suddenly are justified. And when justice looks at you, justice does not see you, but sees your righteous covering of the mercy and grace of Christ Jesus. And justice suddenly says, oh, I have no problem with that. Do you see? And we think that ethics is about justification, but ethics is not about justification. We will never be ethical enough to satisfy justice in our flesh. That is justification. We need saving grace. Somebody say amen. Amen. Ethics, however, is sanctification. And sanctification is a love story you tell to God. Sanctification is how you try to please the one you said you loved. Now, if we get this order reversed, we will think sanctification, our efforts, produces justification. That's backwards. That means we got righteous enough, God owes us something. The truth is, justification, I'm sorry I'm hitting you with these words, but I just want to nail this down. Justification produces sanctification. God first loved us. And he extended to us his grace and his mercy. Thus we are justified. Somebody say, I've been saved. saved. Now our lives turn from being good enough to have God say, yep, come on in, you're just of me, to saying, I love you for what you did for me. I want to serve you. I want to know of you, know you. Justification produces sanctification, not the other way around. Why do I say that? Because the way we live reveals the desires and the passions of our heart. And so the way in which we live is what we do with so great a salvation. What we do with so magnificent a story of love. Do you see? And so here you have the reality of biblical Christian ethics. When Jesus speaks to this religious crowd in John chapter number 8, his debate is not with sinners. Now, if you read this and you see Jesus saying to the drunks and the harlots and the crooks and the organized crime figures, you are of your father, the devil. You have misunderstood the scripture. He's not talking to sinners by religious folks' estimations. He's talking to religious folks by religious folks' estimations. He's talking to scholars Lawyers, priests, Pharisees, the people who hang out at church. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. All right, now I'm confused now. Now, I know how to find crazy people. I have some crazy friends. No, I'm not talking about Daryl and Tina. I know how to find real crazy people, not people who show up on Wednesday night and try to get their life sorted out. I'm talking about people who don't even try. They are real sinners. But the Lord is not showing this 
words of judgment to sinners. Jesus never speaks harshly to a sinner. But people who are of a religious bent who want to isolate the sinner from Jesus, those people make Jesus a little bit upset. And so Jesus is rebuking people that cannot see something that is of heaven. And he says to them, you are of your father, the devil. And I want to real quick here, I'm not going to explain this completely right now. I'm going to have to touch this multiple times because there's a ton of New Testament scripture that suddenly reads differently when you recognize the issue of ethics springing from nature. Okay, so they found a tiger in a garage in Brooklyn this week. Was it Brooklyn? Did any of you guys see the news story? Um, I think it's Brooklyn. Somewhere up there where it's cold. They found a tiger in a garage. Now, it was in a cage, and someone was feeding it, but evidently, uh, uh, tigers are hard to dispose of. Um, <laughs> and they didn't want to pay fees for the right care and keeping of the tiger, and so they were keeping it in a garage, and they were, they were just stopping by and giving it some meat. And some people came into this abandoned house, and whoa, voila, a tiger. Yeah. Um, and, and the law enforcement interviewed later, uh, 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 they, they said, look, keeping a tiger without proper care is just like pointing a loaded gun at somebody. Now, why is the tiger dangerous? Because it's its nature. It doesn't wake up in the morning in a bad mood. It's a stinking tiger. It doesn't get in front of the mirror in pose like y'all do at the gym. It's a stinking tiger. It does tiger-like things. And when it eats you, it's not personal. <laughs> no, 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 don't rush past that. It's not just a joke. I want you to see, understand the nature of the problem. When the tiger eats you, it's not mad. You look like a good appetizer. It's a tiger. So, when we talk about ethics in the context of Christianity, we are not talking about a list of things you do so you can be saved. We're talking about living the nature of God. And when we break the ethics of the Bible, it's not about, now you're saved, now you're lost, now you're saved, now you're lost. Yes, eventually that becomes an issue. But it is much more about who which kingdom are you of? And in John chapter number 8, you have a lot of religious people saying they're of the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus is saying, no, you suckers are from the kingdom of hell. And just because you're quoting Torah, and just because you spent your life quoting Torah, and you've lived Torah, and you're obsessive about it, doesn't mean you are exempt from living out the essence, the ethics, the manner of hell. You are of your father, the devil. All right, moving along. There is within a Christian ethics some unique things. Um, we have, as human beings, we have... Uh, an ethical system that is not simply of a, a Judeo-Christian uh, inheritance. Uh, it is in almost all of the uh, 
civilizations of the world, even the ones that do not have the Judeo-Christian inheritance. Things like, uh, and I'm going to quote from a theologian, Calvin Linton, uh, quote, there is a basic pattern of similarity, um, speaking among ethical codes. Such things as murder, lying, adultery, cowardice are, for example, almost always condemned. The universality of the ethical sense itself, the He's referring to the oughtness. You guys understand what I'm saying? The oughtness, you ought to do this. The oughtness of conduct and the similarity within the codes of diverse cultures indicate common moral heritage for all mankind, which materialism and naturalism cannot explain. I'll take it further than that. Biology cannot explain it. It's not simply something that is naturally occurring, but it is something written within the heart of humanity. And this is what Paul will refer to. I'm not going to, I'll touch this later, but Paul, Peter, uh, several other New Testament writers refer to this things that people know it's written in their hearts. Beyond this universal sense of the basics, the basics, the minimums, which we in the Judeo-Christian a heritage would think of as, like, for example, the Ten Commandments. Beyond that, there is something more. There is something more. Christian morality is founded on the conviction that an absolute moral order exists out of, outside of and yet is somehow inscribed within our very being. Morality, ethics... These things that are presented to us through the word of God, they are flowing from the nature of the creator himself into the reality of created things, not a construction of the human mind. Another, another uh, uh, philosopher, Walter Lippmann, at the core of every moral code, there is a picture of human nature, a map of the universe, a version of history. To human nature, of the sort conceived, in a universe of the kind imagined, after a history so understood, the rules of the code apply. Um, That's very confusing uh, way to try to uh, say that. Let me say it this way. Wherever you go, there's a moral light that shines within a civilization that inclines people to things that you cannot simply explain away. You can read the craziest philosopher you know. They're still not going to say it's okay to abuse a child in any civilization. And if you do that in any civilization, there is going to be repercussions within that civilization. Morality uh, that uh, we see in the scripture particularly in the New Testament, is not simply a minimum standard, but it is a right way of being that gives testimony to our claims. I'm speaking as a Christian. What are good works? Good works obviously cannot be a plan for salvation unless Christ died in vain. I'm not the one who say that. Paul's the one who say, is the one who said that. What can it be? It becomes worship. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you want to be saved. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's number one. It can be worship. It's a love story you tell God. Secondly, it can be witness. 
Let men see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So ethics becomes our willingness to live out the nature God places within us by a supernatural act of spiritual renewal that we call it when we are filled with the spirit, the nature, and the being of God. And it becomes your opportunity, not just to say love or preach love or testify love. It becomes your opportunity to live love out to to the, uh, to the Lord. He's been so good to me. I want to give him my life. Yeah. He's done so much for me. I want to be of his kingdom. Now, really quickly, there was a problem early in the days of um, commerce in that people would make offers for something that they really didn't want to buy. What they wanted to know is how much it was worth to you because that's valuable to people. They can make business decisions based off what you're willing to pay. And they, they would come to you and they would ask you how much to sell and you'd tell them, I'll sell for this much. They never intended to buy, but now they know what your bottom dollar is. They know what you're willing to sell for. Um, now, in business, this is called bid shopping. Uh, this is where you get a bid and then you go around. You, you, you manipulate the marketplace to give the bid to the person you want to have it at the price you want to give it. And it's called bid shopping. Now, um, it, this was fixed in the history of commerce by something called earnest money. How many of you ever heard of earnest money? Earnest money is money you put down when you make a bid to show you're operating in good faith. To show you're not just going around blah, blah, blah. How much you sell for? How much you sell for? How much you sell for? Hear me today. Hear me today. Ethics is the earnest money of our religious claims. Your desire to do right and to live right is the earnest money you offer to the world to show you're not just talking tough. You want to live this thing. And so ethics becomes the manner in which we are of our Father, not the kingdom of this world. Our desire to live right, to speak right, to do right, is our desire to manifest the dominion of God in this world. Oh, y'all aren't hearing me, so I'm going to have to keep repeating this. You see, we are not of this world. We are of another world. And we, through faith, are different than unbelievers because we see a world beyond this world. We see truth beyond this temporal truth. We see hope beyond this 70 odd years we are given. And because we are people of faith, we have our eyes fixed on a kingdom that others cannot see. But that vision has consequences in our life. And the Lord left us here to be the church, to manifest the manner, the values, the essence, the goals of that kingdom in this kingdom. Yeah. 
And so when we try to do right, when we try to live right, when we try to act in an ethical manner, when we choose morality over immorality, uh, we are living out the evidence of our Father, the nature and the character of God. You guys all right? You okay? Everybody okay? I feel like I might need to have a foot rub here in a little while or something. Um, I ain't rubbing those sneaky feet. That's all I got to say about that. I'm putting Ed in charge of that. Uh, So um, another theologian, Francis Schaeffer, says this, the uniqueness of Christian ethics. One of the distinctions of the Judeo-Christian God is that not all things are the same to him. That at first may sound rather trivial, but in reality it is one of the most profound things one can say about the Judeo-Christian God. He exists. He has a character. And not all things are the same to him. Some things conform to his character, and some things are opposed to his character. And so Jesus can stand among the religious and say, you are of your father the devil. You have an appearance of the truth, but your nature, your heart is not manifesting the essence, the nature, and the character of God. Why does this matter? Well, when we think that Christian ethics are simply a command, they're simply a to-do list, they're simply a rule book uh, of some type, we miss an opportunity to choose to live the character and nature of God. I could do that, but I'm not going to do that because I am not of this world. Do you see? Ethics is not about justification. It is about sanctification. What will you do with so great a love? And so as a preacher, I'm going to try to point you to biblical direction. I'm going to try to show you biblical uh, uh, principles, uh, uh, scriptural ethics. These are the things that we weigh our lives against. It's not simply a command that I make of you. It's not simply a necessary requirement that if you're going to go to this church, bless God, you're going to do. Uh, It's much higher than that. It is not about the nature of your preacher. Your preacher didn't die for you. It's about the nature of your God. And yes, I could walk around and act like that. But if I did that, I would not be in tune with the nature and character of my God. And so ethics and godliness and living lives of sanctification is much more than a command. It is an opportunity to worship God and witness to your world of his character, his nature, and his essence. Which is why when we sin, we are of the devil. Now, John, in his first epistle, and I'm almost done, Uh, In fact, musicians, you can come play and soothe everybody because they're a nervous wreck right now. (laughs) Play something about the grace of God, the love of God, you know. Um, (laughs) uh, Some of you guys haven't met James. This is James. He's a a great, talented musician. We're honored to have him here in our church. Uh, This is his family right here, his beautiful daughter right there, his lovely submitted wife right there. (laughs) 
right there. Uh, his sister uh, right beside her, Cheryl and Aretha. And I'm sorry, baby, I forgot your name. We'll just call you Gorgeous for right now, okay? Okay, so that's your nickname, Gorgeous. All right, so, um, so I want you to see, when, 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 we, when we simply, when we sin, okay, so why would John throw this theologically difficult issue in the same epistle he's going to say two things number one when you sin you're of the devil pat your neighbor say yes Lord just bless your name you tell him say when you sin you're of the devil now husbands when you're fighting with your wife and they call you what you know you've been acting like That's right. Valentine's Day is coming up. You bet. Bishop says you best get yourself organized. That's just a word. I don't know if it's from the Lord, but it is from the bishop. So that's like one notch down. Okay. So, um, why would he throw us into a theological briar patch and say, "He that sinneth is of the devil"? And then right beside that, just right, just a few verses over, say, if a man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. Now, I was already confused, Brother John. This is why I want to talk about ethics. I want you to understand it's not about a formula where God owes you salvation. That's the gift of God. It is about what you do with so great a love. When you sin, you are of the devil, honey. Why? You are living out the nature of this world, the nature of rebellion, the nature of my way or the highway, the nature of I'll just take what isn't mine and then lie about why I took it. A murderer from the beginning, a liar from the beginning. And the Lord says when the devil lies, he lies out of his nature. Do you see? And so when John says, if you sin, you're of the devil. It's not about, now you're saved, now you're lost. Now you're saved, now you're lost. Schizophrenic salvation. That's not what it's about. It is about you have chosen to live by the values of this world. And you have taken upon yourself the essence and the character of this kingdom. And if a man says he has no sin, he's a liar. And the truth's not in him. So where does that leave us? By the renewing of our minds, by the submission of our spirit, our nature is changed day by day through prayer. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Through prayer, through focus, through choosing. I am not of this world. I know I could talk about my brother and hurt him. But if I do that, My appearance of religiosity won't save me. I will be of this world. And I'll be living by the values of this world. I will have failed to be an ambassador of the God I claim to have fallen in love with. Do you see? Do you see? We choose ethics. Not because we're trying to be good enough to get in heaven. Bless God, you're never going to be good enough. Note to self. 
He's going to cover you with his goodness. Now, what are you going to do with that? After you repent of your sins, after you're baptized in his name, after you're filled with his spirit, how hard are you going to try not to be of this world? How hard are you going to try to let your mouth be brought into Christian submission? I know I just offended half of you when I said that. How hard are you going to try to say, guys, that's just not who I want to be. That's a fair question. Who do you really want to be? Because every day you get to choose. You get to self-define by the ethics, by the shortcuts you take, by the things you do to hurt people and pretend like you didn't mean to. You are, when we do that, we are of our father, the devil. Even when we look good. But Christ invites us to a much higher way of living. It's so much harder than just following Ten Commandments. It's so much harder than just having a preacher say this and that. It's so much harder. It is not a set of commandments. It is a way of living. And that's why he can say he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life. This is the issue of Christian ethics for us. And your ability to choose right behavior, the study of good and evil, good and evil actions. Remember, in our reality, good actions do not make us good. That's why Jesus says there's only one who is good. Mercy and the covering of grace in our life makes us good through his mercy and grace. But when we choose what we're going to do with what he's done for us, it makes you want to represent the values of heaven down here. After all, that's why we're here. It makes you want to do the ethical because it is, if to no one else, the ultimate testimony to yourself that you are his. I am yours and you are mine because I manifest your nature by the decisions I choose to live here on earth. Let's all stand. please you with my life. I want to please you. Um, <clears throat> you guys, you guys have heard me say this kind of thing before. I'll just save that for next week. Um, step out of the chair. You're in. Let's, 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 not, let's just take a moment. We won't take long. I know you have things planned. Step out of your, your chair. Let's come up real front, real close to the front here just for a moment. I want us to, I want us to as a heart, I want, as a, a church, I want us to present our hearts to the Lord uh, here just as a, an intentional, um, like a, a line in the sand, a demarcation right now. I would like you, as you come, I'd like you, in your own ways, direct your direct your your heart heavenward, incline your heart toward God, and say, Lord Jesus, show me how to live where your love makes sense through my choices. Show me how to live where your character is manifest through my lifestyle. Lord Jesus, show me how to parent. 
Show me how to parent so my kids learn grace through my parenting decisions. Lord, show me how to be a husband. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. 